We're coming to the end of a series of preset questions that we have been tackling over the past few weeks. We started way back in the middle of November and we've looked at so far how can we know there's a God? Why should I trust the Bible? Does God love me? Why would anyone be sent to hell? What is sin and does it really matter? If I try to be good do I get to heaven? Is death the end for me? Why is there suffering? And today we're going to look about look at what about other religions. And I don't know about you, but I, I tend to find these are the sort of questions that people often ask me. As we look at these questions, maybe they're questions that you've been asked, or maybe they're questions you've wondered about yourself and you've you've asked about yourself. And you know, we always turn to the Word of God for our answers. And we can rest in the knowledge that whatever questions you know, we might wonder about or whatever questions people might ask us, we, we don't need to be afraid of questions. In fact, we can welcome them and we can say um, that you know, the Bible stands up to all the scrutiny that people will uh, subject it to. And we're going to read a couple of passages just, just now from the Bible. We'll, we'll refer to them just a little bit later on in the message. But let's, let's just give prominence to the reading of the Word of God. So we'll turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and read a few verses there from the start of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Um, so a letter that uh, Paul, who was a follower of the Lord Jesus, a believer in the Lord Jesus, wrote to a church of Christians um, in Corinth and in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians he says this now I would remind you brothers of the gospel I preached to you which you received in which you stand and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you unless you believed in vain for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures that he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas then to the twelve then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time most of whom are still alive though some have fallen asleep then he appeared to James then to all the apostles last of all as to one untimely born he appeared also to me there's one other passage that I'll just read to you just now as well that we're going to refer to a little bit later on. It's in John's Gospel, chapter 14. John's account of the life of the Lord Jesus. John's Gospel, chapter 14. And I'm just going to read the first six verses of John, chapter 14. And here's what the Lord Jesus is saying to his followers at that point he says in John 14 verse 1 he says let not your hearts be troubled believe in God believe also in me in my father's house are many rooms if it were not so would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you and if I go and prepare a place for you I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am you may be also and you know the way to where I am going Thomas said to him Lord we do not know where you are going how can we know the way Jesus said to him I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So we'll come to this 
passage, these passages just in a little while and consider just some truths from them. What about other religions is our, our question today. And, and I could be pretty sure that you will either at some point in your life have been asked a question like that or maybe wondered about what the answer is to a question like that yourself. You know, somebody might say to you, there are so many religions in the world, what makes you so sure that yours is the right one? Now, I did a little bit of searching on the internet yesterday. And, according to the internet, there are over 4,000 recognised religions in the world. Over 4,000. So the good news is we spend five minutes talking about each one. We'll get out of here in two weeks today. So we're maybe not going to do that. But we're going to try and take a broad brush look at this. You know, I, I remember a, a, a witty atheist once saying, well, you know, there's all those religions in the world. You don't believe in their gods. I just believe in one god less than you. And I thought, okay, good one. Um, but you see the idea there, when people are looking and thinking, there's so many religions out there. Why are you so sure that what you believe is true? And then people will maybe say something like, well, I accept all religions. You know, I'm sure I can think in quite a number of times people have said something like that to me. I accept all religions, someone will say. You know, whatever feels right for you, that's fine. Whatever feels right for you is fine with me. Or people will say, well, it's, it's a bit like a mountain. You know, there's lots of paths to the top in all these religions. It's just people finding their own path to the top and... You know, find the path that's right for you. And that all sounds very nice, doesn't it? It all sounds very kind of, uh, you know, uh, nice to, to, to believe something like that. But we're gonna, what, what matters more than what we'd like to believe is what's the truth. And we're going to really drill down on that this morning. So for over 4,000 recognised religions in the world. And uh, three quarters of the world's population practices one of five major religions, according to the internet. Buddhism, Christianity, Hinduism, Islam and Judaism. Did you know that last Sunday was World Religion Day? I didn't know that until yesterday. And they have a website and here's what they say as they try to find commonality among the world's religions. They say this. They say, with so many religions and belief systems How is it possible to find common ground? This, they say, is the goal of events that take place on this day, to acknowledge similarities that different faiths have. For example, most religions have their own version of the golden rule. This is the belief that it is good to treat others as you want to be treated. Along with finding common ground, this day, World Religion Day, seeks to promote interfaith understanding and harmony. And these are often the sort of comments that certainly I found people making to me, or, or, you know, on occasions when we have conversations, maybe colleagues at work or friends, and and they'll say, "Well, there's so much common ground in religions, you know, they've all got a, a sort of similar moral, moral code." And can you not just focus on the stuff that you that, that's similar, and uh, you know, just can we, you know, just get along, and you know, fo- focus on the stuff that, that that's similar, and that at first glance seems very appealing but as we'll see later it's fatally flawed so what's the situation in Scotland well here's some census data here here's here's Scotland now you you probably all filled out your census last year sometime 
The output from that census has yet to be published. England and Wales have published their data because they did their census in 2021, so you maybe saw some headlines about that. But uh, the Scottish data are still to come. But here's 2011 in light blue compared to 2001, 10 years before, in dark blue. And you can see that actually the majority of people, the way it's broken down here from the census, the majority of people in Scotland in 2011 uh, declared that they did not identify with any religion. They had no religion. So no religion was actually the commonest. In 2011, 1,941,116 people said they had no religion. So that was the commonest answer. And so you'll see the difference from 2001 to 2011. The proportion of people citing no religion went up. Well, the proportion, well, you see the Church of Scotland there went from, uh, from, from over 40% in 2001 down to a bit over 30% in 2011. And you see the changes there for the, 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 the other sort of groupings there. So um, there's, there's groupings reported for Church of Scotland was 1,717,871, Roman Catholic 841,053. Then there was other Christian, then there was Muslim, there was Hindu, there was Buddhist, there was Sikh, there was Jewish, and there was 15,196 people who were following some other religion. So within Scotland, there are lots of different religions followed, but actually the majority, and this fits certainly with my impression when, again, talking to people in, in the workplace, more and more people, most people these days would actually say that they don't follow a religion. They might call themselves atheist, or they would say that they don't follow a religion. So really the question we're going to try and tackle this morning is, how do we respond and make sense of all this in a country and in a world where there are many religions and there are lots of people who follow no religion at all? You know, do we do what the organisers of World Religion Day suggest and try to find areas of similarity and say, well, we actually all agree that we should try and be nice to each other and treat each other well. Let's just, you know, let's just have that as our, our lowest common denominator and, and, and ignore the rest. Or do we actually say, well, what matters most? It's not what we'd like to believe, or what might be popular or acceptable to, be other, to other people. Sure, we always, we, we always should treat everyone with respect. But what's more important than what we might find, or, or other people might find acceptable, is actually what's true. It's actually what's true, isn't it? That's what matters more than some convenient sort of lowest common denominator or something that's not going to upset other people and rock the boat or something that's going to keep us kind of in everyone's good books and, you know, keep us reasonably popular. So, really we have to drill down on what's actually true. Now, let's take a very broad brush look. I did say over 4,000 religions recognised in the world. We're not going to drill down on all of them. But let's just, let's just dip in to look at, well, what is common to some of the world's religions. What are, what, is a, what are the sort of common features? Well, one of the first things that you see is that religions tend to have a set of rules or practices or things that their followers are required to do. Usually in order to achieve or arrive at or receive some sort of end goal or reward. So there will be a set of rules. So, um, you know, you could, you, could, you could pick Buddhism, for example, just one that I uh, had a look at uh, yesterday. And they have this sort of eight, these eightfold factors, all about uh, different 
aspects of uh, right living, and they talk about having a right view, having a right intention, having right speech, having right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness and right concentration. And there are various uh, practices associated with that, such as no lying, no rude speech, no telling one person what another says about him, no killing, no injuring, um, what other ones have they got? No cheating, no harming or killing anyone, um, being conscious of what you're doing, a whole load of stuff that actually you say, well, that all sounds like laudable, good practices. You know, no lying, being trustworthy, that's all, you know, that's, that's all pretty good practices. Or you might look and say, well, what, what, what does Islam require? And, uh, uh, in order to inhabit Jannah, which is their goal of paradise, who gets that? Those who refrain from doing evil. Those who keep their duty, have faith in God's revelations, do good works, are truthful, penitent, heedful and contrite of heart, who feed the needy and orphans and who are prisoners for God's sake. So as you look at the sort of rules or requirements for of the of, of the world's religions, the requirements of the followers, you'll see many things that are laudable, decent rules and things to do. So there's usually a common there's usually a set of rules as a feature of the world's religions. And there's usually an end goal, something that you will get if you do these things. So, for, take, take Buddhism for example. The end goal is cessation of dukkha. Cessation of suffering or pain or unsatisfactoriness. Or in Hinduism, moksha or mukti is the ultimate most important goal. It's a concept associated with liberation from sorrow or suffering. Uh, or in Islam, as I mentioned, jhana, paradise, garden, the final abode of the righteous. So you can actually see, if we're taking a very broad brush look at this, without drilling down on the detail of each of the 4,000, over 4,000 world religions, there's a, a set of rules, things you have to do, and if you do these satisfactorily, you will get whatever the end goal is, whether it's living in some paradise, liberation from sorrow, suffering, cessation of, of, of suffering, something like that. So these are sort of common factors to the world's religions. What's different? What's different about Christianity? You could say, well, you could, you could say if you were, if, if you were being, uh, if, if you were arguing back with me so far, you'd be saying, well, actually doesn't Christianity just have a set of rules? And does it, doesn't it just have heaven as its end goal? But actually, when we look at the Bible, we see that actually Christianity isn't about a list of rules. You say, come on, come on, Ten Commandments, Kevin, come on, you know, Ten Commandments, that's not a set of rules, I don't know what it is. But the thing is, as we look at the Ten Commandments, or anything else in the Bible that sets out God's standard of righteousness, we don't see in that something that we can realistically ever live up to. It's like a mirror to us really that shows us what we're really like. 
And we look at God's perfect standard of absolute righteousness set out in the Bible. And we come away having looked in the mirror, really, and said, well, no matter how hard I try, I can't live up to that standard. I haven't managed to keep all those rules. I haven't, I, I, I can't, in my own right, do a load of things that will be in any way, even coming close in any, in any way to God's standard. We've all, the Bible says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're all fallen so far short of God's standard that we are just nowhere near. So when we look at the Bible, you know, we look at God's standard and we see, we see a mirror held up that shows us that actually... If the world's religions are all about doing things, because that's what you find is you look at all the requirements of the world's religions and it's, it's, it's doing words. I remember when I was at school, at primary school, we learned that verbs were doing words. And you see, as you look at the world's religions, lots and lots and lots of doing words. Do, 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 do this, do that. Don't do that, don't do this. And if you do well enough, you'll get whatever the end goal is. But actually as we look at the Bible, and the reason I, 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 I read the two passages that I did, which we're going to look at in a minute, is because actually the message of the Bible, it's not all about doing words. It's not saying, well, if you do this, 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 and this, and this, that's your path to the end goal, that's your, that's your way to heaven. The message of the Bible is actually about a person who has done the work required. For us to have peace with God. For us to be saved. For us to have eternal life. You see, ultimately, what's different about Christianity? What's unique about Christianity? It's Christ, isn't it? It's the Lord Jesus. Because he's the one who has done all that is required for us to be saved. For us to be right with God. You know, as we look at, as we're going to do just now, at what the Lord Jesus has done for us, we're going to see that we can abandon any slavish struggles that we have been embarking on to try to earn heaven. And anyone who's following any other, any of the world's major religions, if they're based on a, that same sort of slavish um, requirement to obey a set of rules in some hope of achieving an end goal do you know what when we look at what the Lord Jesus has done we realise that he's done all that's required and we can trust in him we read in 1 Corinthians 15 I'll read verse 3 to you again for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. What's different about Christianity? The Lord Jesus Christ died for our sins. You see, if we look at the Bible, and we look at God's perfect standard of righteousness, and we look at it like that mirror that it really is, that tells us where we stand in the sight of a holy God, the holy God of heaven, we realise that we fall further short than we could ever quantify or imagine. We realise that 
when God says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, he doesn't mean everyone else out there. He doesn't mean everyone in the papers or the news. He means every one of us and he means you and he means me. And when we realise just how awful that sin is in the sight of the holy God of heaven who is absolutely perfect and righteous and pure and holy. You know, if we stop there, we feel pretty hopeless, don't we? Because suddenly any religious codes of practice that says do this, do that, do the next thing and you'll get the end goal. We suddenly realise that we're kidding ourselves. And then some. Until we read about Jesus. Until we read about Jesus. The Lord Jesus Christ, the perfect Son of God, who came and lived among us, who became truly human and lived among us, who was, whose life was marked by absolute perfection. Do you know, people scrutinized the life of the Lord Jesus, they could not find a fault. Not one thing that in a moment of carelessness he had done wrong and should have done differently. Not one thing that had been brushed under the carpet and that a spotlight would have caused for a moment of discomfort and embarrassment. Not one word that he had to say, well, I'm sorry I misspoke there, that was a poor choice of words. Not one thing that he had ever done wrong. Because he was positively perfect. The perfect righteous son of God. He comes, he, 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 lives, he, he, he came and he lived among us. He lived among us with the intention that he would go to the cross. And in the words of the passage we read there. That he would die for our sins. You see, <coughs> the Lord Jesus doesn't present us with a list of things that we've got to try and do to deserve an end goal. He says, I've come to this earth. And the Bible says God shows, God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see, that holy, righteous God of heaven has to judge sin. We're the ones who deserve to be judged. We've seen that as we've looked at the mirror of God's word. But the message of the Bible is a message of love. God's love for us. God's soul of the world. That he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him. Should not perish but have everlasting life. And the Lord Jesus who had no sin in himself. And had no reason. In himself that he had to die. He died for us. All that we deserved. The judgment, the punishment, what we deserve to suffer at the hands of a holy God. And we, could never, we can never pay that price. We can never pay for our sin. And on the cross, Jesus paid it all. He died for our sins. He was buried. And he rose again. Do you notice that verse that we read? Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day. What's unique about Christianity? Christ. He lived. He died. He was buried. Eyewitnesses bore testimony to all that. 
And then on the third day he rose again. And guess what? Eyewitnesses bore testimony to that. Because he was seen, but did you see how many folks saw him? He appeared to Cephas, then the twelve, then more than five hundred brothers at one time. Then James, then Paul says he appeared to me as well. Different people, different time, different, different places. And they saw the risen Lord Jesus. Yeah, that's unique, isn't it? You know, you can read about founders of the world's religions, leaders of the world's religions, and you might read a, a biography, and here's what they did, and here's what they said, here's where they lived, and here's where they died, and here's where they were buried. And you can go and see their tomb. You know what? The Lord Jesus' tomb is empty. He died. He was buried. And he rose again. What's unique about Christianity? Christ. Because we have a living saviour. The Bible tells us of a living saviour. Not just someone who lived and died and we can look back and learn from their teachings. We can learn lots from his teachings but that was not the end of the story. He lived. He died for us. He was buried. And he rose again. And he's alive. And he's coming back one day. So... What's different about Christianity? Christ. Died for our sins, rose again. And he's the only way to God, right? Here's the, here's, here's, here's the crux of the matter. That passage I read in John chapter 14. Do you notice what verse 6 said as the Lord Jesus is answering a question posed to him by Thomas? Thomas says, I don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus says, I'm the way. I'm the way, and the truth, and the life. He doesn't say, I am a way. So I am the way. Just lest there be any misunderstanding, he goes on. No one comes to the Father. Except through me. Now you're following this so far. We look at the mirror of the word of God. We see we've all fallen short of God's perfect standard. Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He was raised again. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him. Should not perish but have everlasting life. We must believe. Trust in the Lord Jesus. Repent of our sin and trust in the Lord Jesus. And many in the world might say, well, that's fine, and I'm glad that gives you some sort of hope and some sort of meaning, but, you know, don't say other ways are wrong. You know, that's fine for you. If you've found something that works for you, that's great. But, you know, everyone can find their own path, whatever. You know, we can accept Jesus too. We'll, believe, we'll accept Jesus' teaching and we'll believe other people and believe other, other religions. But actually the Lord Jesus didn't leave us with that option. This is when it gets a bit uncomfortable, isn't it? Because, you know, people don't like to hear that the Lord Jesus is the only way, but it's what he said. It's what he said. No one comes to the Father except through me. He makes an absolutely exclusive claim. And he doesn't just leave us the option of saying, well, we'll accept Jesus too, and we'll accept this religious leader, that religious leader, that holy book, that, and, 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 you know, many ways. It doesn't leave us the option of saying, well, Jesus was one of many good teachers, does he? 
we don't have to accept what he says I'm the only way to God he says no one comes to the Father except through me or we have to reject him and say well either he was mistaken or he was willingly misleading the people and we look at his life and we see a perfect life we look at his teachings marked by wisdom and we say well what on the basis of the evidence is the logical conclusion and it's actually that he was he was right that he was who he said he was he was the son of God truly God become truly human living among us died for us, rose again and he says do you know what let's be honest there's no other way I am the way and the truth and the life no one comes to the Father except through me see when we're presented with the claims of the Lord Jesus we can't just say well we'll we'll put him on a par with everyone else and we'll accept Jesus plus whatever other religion or whatever other religions he doesn't leave us that option he died for our sins he rose again and he himself says no one comes to the Father except through me so as we wrap this up now I hope you're seeing that at a rudimentary glance People, yes, might think, well, all religions are similar. Similar moral code, similar, you know, some features of good living that are similar. But we've drilled down a bit this morning. And we've seen that any similarities are only very superficial. Because actually it all comes down to what you decide about the Lord Jesus Christ. What's unique about Christianity? Christ. Because only he died for our sins. No one else did that for you. Only he rose again. Never to die again. And he himself said that he is the only way to God. Through faith in him. You can know God. Get this. This is unique as well. You can know God as father. You can know God as father. I remember back when I was at school and the school scripture union group had a lot of good times as I've told you before in the, the SU group and they had a, a library of books and each week you could borrow a book and take it away and read it and bring it back the following week and one time I borrowed a book it was the life story of a lady called Bilquis Shake. The book's called I Dare to Call Him Father. Maybe you've come across it. And Bilquis Sheikh was a member. She had been a member of a, a prominent Muslim family in Pakistan. And she tells her, her story of, her, of how she became a, a Christian, a follower of the Lord Jesus. Here's some of what she says. Suddenly, a breakthrough of hope flooded me. Suppose, just suppose God were like a father. If my earthly father would put aside everything to listen to me, wouldn't my heavenly father? Shaking with excitement, I got out of bed, sank to my knees on the rug, looked up to heaven and in rich new understanding called God my father. 
I was not prepared for what happened. I wanted to go on praying. I wanted to read the Bible, for I knew now that my father would speak through it. I went to bed only when I knew I must for the sake of my health. But the very next morning I told my maids to see that I was not disturbed, took my Bible again and reclined in my divan. Starting with Matthew, I began reading the New Testament word for word. I found myself standing at a great crossroads. So far, I had met personally the Father God. In my heart, I knew I had to give myself totally to his son Jesus, or else to turn my back on him completely. I made up my mind and knelt in front of the fire. Oh God, don't wait a moment. Please come into my life. Every bit of me is open to you. I did not have to struggle or worry about what would happen. I had said yes. Christ was in my life now and I knew it. How unbearably beautiful. Within a few days I had met God the Father and God the Son. Oh Lord, I said as I lay back in my bed. Could the heaven you speak of be any better than this? To know you is joy. To worship you is happiness. To be near you is peace. This is heaven. What's unique about Christianity? Christ. And you know, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you can, you can know something truly unique. You can know God as Father. And that's amazing. What's different about Christianity? Christ died for our sins, rose again, and he is the only way to God. Now, here's the challenge. Do you know him? You're not just, do you know about him? Do you know him? You can come to know him and trust in him. Trust in the Lord Jesus as your saviour. And I pray that if you're not already trusting in him, that, that, that you will turn to him and trust in the only one who loved you and gave himself for you. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you that he is truly unique. Incomparable, in fact. And we thank you that he died for us. Was buried and rose again the third day. Pray for everybody here. You know the hearts of everyone here. For any who have been wondering about these things. What about all the world's major religions? What's different about Christianity? Pray that they might turn in repentance and faith. Turn to Christ. We thank you for him. In his own name. Amen.